This is NRL Boom Rookies. Hello everyone and welcome to the episode of Boom Rookies presented by ESPN. I am Matt Bungard and with me today, Nick Campton. Hello. TGI and I really do believe this F. Absolutely, mate. Uh, we've got another round of Pacific Championship action to dig into this weekend, but let's go all the way back to last weekend first because we've not been back together since uh, those games took place. And Australia, we'll start there. The Kangaroos had a big win. They did, yeah. I uh, I thought Samoa were actually quite disappointing in this game. I expected mm. I expected a lot more of them, um, and I think because of the footy that they've played over the last 12 months, we're right to expect a little bit more of them. But they just took so long to to get moving, you know? And I guess in a way that was sort of be to be expected. Some of these blokes hadn't played a game in six weeks. Um, so they were always going to come in a little bit flatter. But um, the Kangaroos scoring four tries in the first 15 minutes, mm. two of which are just incredibly soft efforts where Payne Haas and... Tino Fasul Malaawi just runs straight through the middle of the Samoan defense. You know, for a team with Junior Paulo and Stefano Utoi Kamano as the starting props, that to me, that really just wasn't good enough, you know? And then after that, Samoa got their act together a little bit more, um, but still, you know, conceded Australia scored a try off their own dropout. I've, you know? I was going to highlight that. I've never seen, I, we've seen a lot of rugby league, we've seen a lot of things happen. I've not seen that. Before. No, me either. That's one of the that's one of the greatest individual tries I think I've ever seen. Yeah, from Tabo from Tabo I fit out. Very inconsequential moment in that game when it was already what like twenty four to six going into halftime, and then twenty eight six at halftime. So yeah, yeah. Look, mate, I agree. Like they Australia were completely dominant. We we were kind of worried this would happen. Sometimes we love being right. This is one of the times where we don't love being right. We'd much prefer... You always love being right. No, 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 no. We, yes, we... you do. Come on now. It's said... okay. It's okay. No, There's most... no shame in it. No, no, no. I... Mate, please. I've never been ashamed of any of my arrogance. But in cases like this, I would prefer to be wrong and I'd prefer to have close competitive international games, as we did with the women's game, which we'll get to in a second, because we both thought that was going to be a bit of a boat race too, and it wasn't. So, yeah, this kind of sucked from that regard. But Australia looked fantastic. They, they you know were very polished from start to finish. I saw a little bit of chat about, oh, well, you know, James Tedesco played okay, but like he should, like Reese Walsh should have been better. And I'm just like, well, no, I, th- I thought Tedesco was pretty good. And I think that when you win a game by 30 points, there's really nothing else you can do besides nitpick, I suppose, because what else is there to say other than Australia are really good and they're going to take some stopping in this competition? Yeah, of course they are. Like we all, we, like this was always going to be, this competition was always going to be a bit of a cakewalk for Australia. Like they're going to win every game. They're going to win the final. That's just sort of how it's going to go down. It's, I think it's more about how the other countries go competing against Australia. And that was where I think Samoa let themselves down a little bit. You know, like, like I said, I felt like they did work their way back into the match eventually. You know, after that opening 15-minute period, it's three tries to two. You know, and Samoa were in the game physically and all that sort of thing. It's just disappointing that it took so long for that to happen. And I think, you know, there's probably elements of Samoa's preparation that could have been that could have been better. I think a warm-up game would have done them a world of good. Half the Kangaroos lads got a, a warm-up game in in the PM's 13. I think Samoa probably should have looked at something like that because I think Samoa are kind of going to be in that mold that New Zealand were in for a very long time when they open tournaments quite poorly, but then they get better and better the more time they spend together. Because a lot of the Kangaroos players, aside from sort of getting that physical run in, a lot of them play together in origin. So a lot of them are a lot more used to each other with combinations and that with teams like Samoa or New Zealand to a lesser extent, there just isn't as much familiarity with each other. Um, I thought Stephen Crichton's at 5'8", had some okay touches, but it was just clear he hadn't played there a whole lot, you know, and it was just in little things like him and Dejan Arce are both left footers with, with, um, and, and I felt like they got the, the angles wrong with a lot of the, with, with the way they were setting themselves up on last, on last tackle options a lot of times. And then that really put Samara under pressure, like, you know, because they were struggling to make meters in the middle of the field because the kangaroos were so dominant and then their kicking game wasn't really there either. So the kangaroos who were already a fair bit better, we're just getting off to the best possible start all the time, all the time, all the time. Yeah. 
a couple of nice moments for Sua Longo in there, but we highlighted the spine being the difference in this game, and I think that it was night and day between the two sets of players there. Uh, they pulled, Jer- I thought they, they pulled another wrong rein by not starting Gordon Chan Kum Tong. He, you know, he, like, he was a bit of a difference maker when he came on. He was, and I understand what they were looking for. They were trying to stand up to Australia physically in the middle, but one, that didn't work, and two, when you've already got when you've got a five eight at halfback and then a center fullback at five eight, you probably don't want a prop at hooker as well. Yeah, when's the last time Justin Matamua played hooker, do you reckon? I don't think it's ever happened. Okay. Not once <laughs> in his entire life. I think okay. he's just got nice he's just got nice hands, so they thought they could get away with it, like they did with Josh Maguire a couple of times a million years ago. Mm. So yeah, I I, I don't think Samoa put themselves in the best position to succeed in this game. And I actually think that up like you could sort of see after that. Murray try. They all came together behind the post and it was Stephen Crichton giving them a real, real rev up about switching it on. And then, and then they did a little bit, you know, and there's been so much talk about Sua Fao Longo over the last week or so. And, you know, because the news cycle isn't as full as it normally is, it's kind of going a little bit crazy, but he was super, super impressive. It's, it's not fair. They have another one. It's not fair, Nick the storm they just keep doing this and then but where's he going to play if happen is going to be back it's a whole thing oh geez what a what a problem to have we, <laughs> well, to... we can... say that but like we when you looked at melbourne's team over the last few weeks of the season their you know their spine was good but their two to five is not very strong so i think the move, the move very clearly is to pitch foul longer either into, into the Absolutely. centers or onto the wing you know which i where i think it can be a big success something that really impressed me was you know like the chip and chase no try was incredible like, like Jay's a game of the shits that they, that they didn't just give it. Just give it. Um, and then play. he had that great How, how tall is he, by the way? Um, I don't know. I don't think he's particularly tall, right? So maybe, I don't know. If, I don't know. I don't know if he's got like the build to play on the wing in, in the There's NRL, a lot of but... short wingers out there. Yeah, but... Your, the, favorite, the... your favorite wing is short as hell. Yeah, but like most of the guys who are like, like your Brian Toes and stuff are like very thick. They're thick boys. Like so, so, Falongo is also quite slight in addition to being short. There's not a whole lot of those guys out there apart from. I think. I think. I think he's going to thicken up nicely. Okay. Well, that's. <laughs> you sound like a wolf wanting to eat one of the <laughs> wanting to eat Goldilocks. <laughs> but um, yeah, maybe he will. But he he looked red hot. And yeah. what I what I really liked about him was the the talk that he had. Not not to not to Australia. He wasn't sledging blokes or anything like that. But. Tall is the Samoan teammates. Like you could see him really trying to organize him from the back. He was really trying to rev him up a little bit. He, I thought he really had, he showed a, a great attitude as well, um, in addition to his physical capabilities, I thought. So someone Melbourne should be very, very excited about and someone who's just got to be in the team somewhere mm. next season. Uh, they'll work it out. They'll, they'll find a way. Uh, anyone from Australia you were particularly impressed with before we move on? I think it's one of the best games Tino Fasul Malawi's ever played. Mm. You know, Payne Haas obviously was fantastic. Payne Haas is nearly always... Fantastic, but um, we was really, really strong. And I, in hindsight, that shouldn't have been much of a surprise. So Tino played for Samoa years and years ago now, back in 2019 when he was still just a kid. And then after that, he sort of turned into the player that he's turned into. But when he didn't go, when he, when he decided not to go back and play for Samoa last year, I know that he got a fair bit of stick from some members of the Samoan community. I had a chat to him about it. After the World Cup final, the story's out there somewhere. And it really, really hurt him because he said, these are my own people that were coming after me. And he sort of explained that, you know, he plays for Australia to sort of honor his, because I think his father, his father is Samoan. And I think, I can't, I can't remember his mother's background, but he plays for Australia to honor his mother's background. And he plays for Australia to sort of honor the sacrifice that his father made in coming from Samoa. And he speaks very, very well about it. And it's clear sort of how, how deeply he sort of respects that green and gold jersey. And I think he, he he really wanted to have a point. He really had a point to prove in this one. He wanted to prove that he can be just as proud of that green and gold jersey as Samoa are. If there's, and I thought he did. I think it's one of the be- one of the the best games I've ever seen him play. I thought he was exceptional. Yeah, big team affair. We got a classic Gus get out of my way on that try as well, which was good. Missed that. Uh yeah, he he was super impressive. The whole team really like not not a bad performance. Cherry Evans another very strong showing in that in that Kangaroos jersey. I know that Nathan Cleary is not available right now, but. That that man has done everything he can over the last twelve months to try and keep that shirt. So, see what happens. See what happens there. It doesn't really matter, does it? Uh, no. no. D- does anything like, do, matter, do, Nick? Hard to say. The sun the sun's out and shining. We shouldn't be having existential crises on a on a brilliant Friday afternoon. That's very true. I'm going to go to the park after this. I think you're not going to go for a swim. 
Uh, I don't own a pool. We've been through this. <laughs> We've been through this several times. Uh, the Jillaroo is 16. The Kiwi Ferns, 10. This was a game that we thought was going to be very one-sided, and it turned out to not be the case. I, I, like, I, think, I think Australia like dominated the run of player, but it was just one of those games where a team has all the running and can't put the finishing touches on it, and they don't put the other team away. And it ends up being pretty good contest. When Tamika Upton scored that first, oh triple, god, I thought I it was going to be fifty nil. <laughs> I had, I had, I had grave concerns yeah. <laughs> about about what might happen. Um, but yeah, I, I, to me, this one was looking at the team that the Jillaroos have picked. Looking at it again, I can kind of understand why they would start fast and then not be able to maintain it. It's a really weird bench that they picked with. Emma Tonegato, Caitlin Johnson, Kennedy Cherenton, and Lauren Brown. So in Brown and Tonegato, they've got two backs on the bench, essentially. Um, I think Charrington's a really strong defensive player, but I don't know how much she consistently offers in attack. And then Caitlin Johnson's sort of the outlier. She was really, really strong. Dessert, like score to try was 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 really terrific. But after that sort of opening stanza where the Jillaroos looked like they were playing a different sport to the to the Kiwi Ferns, they did really slow down. I thought, and they kind of just went away from what worked. They had a lot of success attacking the space either side of Malay Alfunga, and they just kind of stopped doing it. You know, they had a lot of success attacking through the middle with their speed, particularly through to make her up there, and then they just kind of stopped doing it. You know, so I I don't know. To me, this this game said actually more about the Jillaroos and the Kiwi Ferns. I didn't think the Jillaroos were anywhere near their best. Although some of their last tackle options were were really, really poor as well. And but credit to the credit to the ferns, man, for sort of wearing that first punch and getting knocked down, and then kind of getting up again and really, really making a game of it. Yeah, absolutely. I I think that they can be very, very proud of the way they played. I know they didn't get the win, but I agree, mate. Grave, grave concerns after that first try, and it just didn't it didn't pan out that way. I think again, a lot of it was self inflicted by by Australia. I think that on another day, if things clicked, they could have easily put up a score, but they didn't, and I think the game will be better for it. But we'll see what happens. I, I'm sure that this result will hold them in good stead for that game against Tonga this weekend before they then turn around and play Australia a second time in a peculiarly formatted competition, Nicholas. Well, it's not really a competition, is it? We're just getting no. some games in. We're just yeah, getting some games in. The NRL's website says this 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 game this weekend is week two of the Pacific Championships women, but even if Tonga were to win, it doesn't matter. It's just New Zealand play Australia again next week. So very weird, but whatever. Oh, I guess I, the important thing is just getting these, like That's especially true. in the women's game, it's just getting these games on. Mm-hmm. It's just getting these games on, like giving the Kiwi Ferns and Matsu Matonga and all these other teams a chance to a chance to play at the highest level and in the harshest environment, because that's really the only way that one, that their team can get better is to get exposed to it. And then maybe their players can get better and sort of getting scouted for an or love you teams. And then the knock on effect when they come back and play again for their country, they're better players and all that sort of things. So while, you know, it's easy to look at this and say, well, there's no final. So what's the point? But I think just getting some games in, just yep. getting games in, that's the important part for them. Fair enough. Uh, we had two other, two other games. We had, the Kummels hosting the Cook Islands in Port Moresby, a carnival atmosphere as my boy Alex Johnston ran the show and the Kummels cruised to a 46 to 10 win. Was he the best player? No, but you know, I'm just going to, I'm just going to go with this. Just let me have this. All right. I let you have everything. That's not true. Yes. I let me have this as if you don't come on here and talk about Alex Johnson every single week. Well, well, fine. Regardless that, that they were great. Uh, Lachlan Lamb was actually brilliant uh nana mcdonald four tries um i thought both cook islands tries were excellent <laughs> i think that they like yeah, really this, this this game this game could have been 200 nil honestly i was i was concerned for a while it was going to be the one of the only reasons it wasn't is one it was windy as hell up there so i think zach labot was kicking for the kumals he only went five of nine two i think with the, the kumals are up 30 nil at half time and i think you could pretty you could really tell that they took their foot off the break a little bit, but mm. um, they looked really strong. They looked like what I, they looked like. We thought they would when we were talking about it last week. They looked like a team that has a bunch of blokes playing in professional systems, mm. and that's why the Kumuls have improved so much in recent years. Like it's great to get guys like Johnson and the Laybutts and Nene McDonald and Jack DeBellin and Lachlan Lamb. It's great to get all them back, you know, and have them playing through their through their ancestry. But the real success story. For me, is blokes like Roderick Ty and Apple Cap- Capinianis and Valentine Richard 
And Nixon put and Junior Rop and Benji Cott and Cruz Ten and all them blokes, guys who born and raised in Papua New Guinea, got to start mainly through the Hunters and then got into professional systems, either in Australia or in England. And you can see how much it's benefited for them. You can see how much better they've got, you know? And there's such a, I think there's such a clear pathway now for someone to be born in the highlands of New Britain and end up playing professional footy somewhere, you know? And you could see even, even the blokes, even the blokes who, you know, aren't out and out stars, they just all know what to do. They all know how to slot into a into a into a team that plays football in a professional kind of way, which makes it so much easier for guys like Lachlan Lamb or Kyle Labert to come back in and play, because they're not they're not playing with a bunch of bush footy battlers, are they? They're playing with blokes who understand what they're meant to do. They know where they're meant to be, where they're meant to go, all that sort of stuff, you know. Mm. So I really like PNG. I think they're going to beat Fiji this week, and I think they're going to cruise in probably against Fiji the week after as well in the Pacific bowl final. But I really, really want to see them play one of the big sides yeah. up at home, you know, cause I think the only team, the only tier one teams that they've faced since the last world cup, they played, they played great Britain in Port Moresby and they beat them. Yeah. And then they played England in the quarterfinal of the world cup last year and played really badly. They really let themselves down mm. and kind of got blown off the park a little bit, um, which can happen when they're away from home. But I think up there in front of the big crazy rowdy home crowd, I think they could give, they could give anyone in anyone in the world a game or at least like a good, a good 50 yeah. minutes or something like that. So, so that's kind of the next step for them. I think they've got this weekend off Cook Islands, Fiji, butting heads this weekend. That Fiji back line looks super sharp. And then we're probably going to get the situation where, Fiji and the Kumuls play each other next Sunday and then play each other again the Sunday after that in the final. Fantastic. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens in that first game between the two teams, whether anyone plays possum a little bit. You'd assume that Fiji will have too much for the Cook Arms this weekend and then there's nothing to play for in that third game. So what a, what a, like it's so great that, that that the NRL is taking international football a lot more seriously. It's great that they're mapping out calendars. It's great that they're making the time for it to be played. But also, what the fuck is going on? Like, how is it that we're going to have, when you've got, like, how is it that we're going to have in the main comp and in the secondary comp, when our two teams play the week before the final in a game that is meaningless? It's, you know, it's when it would have been so easy. Like, all you got to do is flip the script, have Australia play New Zealand first, and then have a, mm. Australia play Samoa last. The games that were last week, should have been in the final week of the competition. Or just don't have a final. Make it around Robin with the I, two I big big bosses playing well, each other. It's, at the end. Not, it's not international footy if we, we if we don't fuck a few things up. That's true. If we don't so, like, make a few easy. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how those two teams match up in that first game before before the final a week later. Assuming no disrespect to my beloved Cook Islands and Davy Moale and all them boys, but assuming Fiji get past them this week, which I think that they should be able something to. something that we neglected to mention on the show last week. Carmichael Hunt is coaching the Cook Islands. Yeah, that's, how that's, good's that? That's fantastic. That's hectic. Yeah, um, he should bring himself out of retirement to play. He halfway. definitely should. Of course, he should. Like who says, who who says no? Not he me. He said Masters is playing halfback. Like he can go back to the he can go back to the back line. It's fine. Don't worry you about can, it. You can do it. You can do it, Kay. I'm telling you. He definitely save it. Save it. it. Save it for the warm up to give him a boost. Yeah, and um, the Samoan women's team got past Fiji up at Port Moresby as well. Uh, just a bit too much class, I think. We, we we both picked them last week, and yeah, a couple more sort of NRLW names in there we thought was going to be the difference. And yeah, I think those 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 players ended up being a huge. Obviously, Aneta Claudia Nuasala was pretty good, and yeah, uh, just too much class for Fiji, I thought. Yeah, yeah, the uh, the brand name players really made a big, big difference for them. Just like that little bit of extra professionalism, that little bit of extra sort of announce that they get from playing in semi-professional systems, it really, really does make a difference, you know? Mm. Um, and it helped them kind of rise above, but I thought that game was a little bit better than what I was expecting. So big ups all around. Yep, so quickly run through this weekend's games. We've got a, the first game for the Kiwis up against Samoa. It's obviously... In the best interest of the competition, given we just talked about having pointless fixtures, it's in the best interest for everyone if Samoa win this game. I'm not sure they're going to, though, because that New Zealand back line is absolutely stacked and that forward pack looks very, very strong as well. Yeah, the New Zealand team is absolutely crackerjack. Um, I like Charles Nickel Cookstad holding the fullback jersey over Joseph Manu. I think 
Manu can Manu obviously is can be really really productive at fullback. Was great for him in the World Cup last year. Deservedly won the Golden Boot and all that. But I think for the structures of the team, they're better off with an out and out fullback playing fullback. Mm. You know, and sort of the big weakness in the New Zealand team in that World Cup last year was probably their centres, where they had Nicol Klukstad, who is a makeshift option, and Peter Peter Hiku, who can have his days, but is very much on the back nine of his career. But instead, this time they've got Matt Tamoko and Joseph Manu, two of the best centres in the entire NRL. You know, not bad. And four pack speaks for itself. The Kiwis have had one of the best forward packs in the world for like twenty odd years now, because nearly all the best forwards are either Pacifica or Maori, or have some sort of links to New Zealand somewhere. So you don't have to worry about that. But I'm actually expecting a really big bounce back from Samoa. I hope and so. I, I, it might just be wishful thinking on my part, but I wonder if Samoa sort of like get a little bit shamed by how things went last week. So they turn up really pumped up for this one. I think it's going to be at Eden Park. I think they're going to get a big, big crowd in there. I think it's going to be like you, you could legit get a 50-50 split with Samoan fans and New Zealand fans, you know, and I think that'll be a, a big, big boost for Samoa, especially in sort of those opening stages. And I don't know if they'll beat them, but I'm expecting a much more rugged physical performance. You know, I'm expecting all these Samoan blokes to be much, much better for the run. And maybe, you know, with New Zealand having a lot of guys that haven't played in a long time, maybe New- maybe Samoa can get the jump on them a little bit. Maybe not to beat them, but to to, to give, them, give them a bit of a scare. You know, that feels possible to me. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's entirely possible, but I'm going to take the Kiwis by eight. I'll go the Kiwis by 16. I think they'll just have a bit too much for them in terms of, um, in terms of fitness as well. You know, I like with Samoa, I don't know really, I don't really know what they're going for starting Keenan Palacio. Like he did such a great job for the, for the Broncos all through the season, but nearly all of that was off the bench. It sort of went away when he was starting a little bit. And I think with the Kiwis starting Tarpanay, Liotta and Fisher Harris, like, you know, what's going to happen with those three in the Mm -hmm. opening 20. And I think the the Samoa have got a fight fire with fire as best they can. I honestly would look at probably starting Spencer Lenu in there just to sort of fire shit up from the jump. But uh, we'll have to wait and see. We will. And we'll get the Kiwi Ferns chance to bounce back in that aforementioned game against Tonga. I think New Zealand will win this game. But what I wanted to talk about was Tiana Penetani is playing halfback for Tonga and she had an article on the NRL's website this week, which I was reading, talking about how her biggest motivation was seeing what the Tongan men's players did back in 2017 and wanting to have the same influence uh, in the women's game over there, which was something we briefly touched on last week and how we weren't sure that that was going to be able to happen in the same way it did in the men's game. But she's obviously a big name. Vanessa Foliaki is someone else who's played for Australia, who's playing for Tonga. Uh, and there's a couple of other NOW names in there as well. I think there was Cassie Toihiku in there as well, who played for the Australian PMs 11 like a month ago, who's now playing for Tonga too. So what do you think about that? Um, I think it's really admirable that Tiana Penetani is going and doing that. And I think it's really important that a player of her stature goes back and does it. Um, because there's always a very clear knock-on effect from the players who sort of mm. take that leadership role and make those sacrifices to go back and play for a tier two nation. And like this Tonga team is much stronger than one that they've had for a while. You know, they got those players you mentioned. They've also got China Pilata who played, um, played at a good NRLW season for, for Brisbane. I think she ended up being nominated for rookie of the year, like did really, really well. The, the own like, and it's great that it's great that that's happening. It's just, I don't think we're going to kind of get the same watershed effect as we did in the men's just because mm. the player base isn't as big, you know, yeah. but for something like that to start for the player base to grow, Tonga has to be visible and Tonga has to be competitive and players like Tiana Penatani going back and playing. That is the, that is the very first steps, well, you know? It's... So it could take, it could take a couple of decades for it a could. Tongan side to be, to be sort of built, to be sort of built up to, to the point where they're regularly competitive with Australia and New Zealand with the, with the men's team. It took, it took 20, 25 mm. odd years. It's interesting. Um, but this is, but this is how it starts. There so we're are... still right at the start. There's still such a long way to go, but you got to start somewhere. There are a couple of big names that could be like there's a, there's obviously Samima Tau from Melly to finally played for Australia and New Zealand respectively, who could be in this Tongan team too. So you never know. Get a couple more big names with every every passing year, and suddenly we're looking at a much more competitive women's team. But you are right; it will take some time. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll take New Zealand to win that one. I think pretty handily. 
What do you think? Oh, yeah, New Zealand by plenty. And the Orchids will get their first game up against the Cook Islands in Port Moresby. Um, again, like, you know, I'd be lying if we said we were across like a great deal of these names. Elsie Albert captaining PNG. She's obviously an absolute beast. Um, and I think up there with that crowd, they'll probably take care of business here, you'd think? Yeah, look, I can't tell you too much about a lot of the players on both these teams, but I can tell you a little bit about how important the PNG Orchids are for for not for for for, for women's sport in, in in Papua New Guinea. I think, and this is something that we'll touch on later with more Papua New Guinea discussion. But it's important to remember that PNG is still very much a developing country in every sense of the word, um, and a lot of the way a lot of people live up there is something that is extremely extremely foreign to to, mm. to the, a lot of people's experience in Australia. And there's a lot of problems there with uh, a lot of social problems with the way that women are treated. I think um, it has I'm the not, highest I'll, domestic violence rate in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, I won't go into it now, but like you can Google it. There's all sorts of real, real societal problems that a lot of people are working very, very hard to to try and fix. And um, when the PNG Orchids were started a few years ago, there was actually a whole lot of vitriol from a lot of people in the community. There's a lot of sort of very old world ideas about where a woman's place was and whether they should be playing footy at all and all that sort of thing. And then when they first started and they weren't great because they were all just sort of playing footy for the first time, they were going out there and getting smashed a little bit. And there was a lot of, a lot of real pushback about it. And there was a lot of sort of stuff saying that they were disgracing the country, disgracing the Jersey, all that sort of stuff. I know a lot of them uh, got some very, very scary sort of personal threats. This is all detailed in a really good documentary called power Mary. Um, which is uh, which is directed by a woman named Joanna Lester, who's one of the great advocates for international rugby league. Like, I would really encourage all of you to try and seek that seek that documentary out. Um, but through a lot of hard work and a lot of sacrifices, the orchids have really, really improved over the last couple of years. You know, they did really, they did. I think they had their best result at a World Cup last season. They're getting more and more players into NRLW programs, and I think they're a really, really important um, social tool for for women's rights in Papua New Guinea. So hoping they can go out there and and, and give a good performance because this is a football team that like I know it can be a bit of a cliche sometimes or it can be a bit uh what's the word patronizing mm. to say that a, a women's team is more about what they can do off the field than what they can do on the field. But in Papua New Guinea because of the way because of the way the country is, I think that's particularly true with the Orchids. Um and the 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 result is important. The result's always important, but just the fact that they exist is probably more important. Yeah, I'll have to check. I used to work with Joanna Lester at the Herald. I'll have to, I'll have to check that video out. There you go. Mm. Indeed. Well said. And yeah, I'll, I'll take them to win this one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They should walk it in. And Fiji against the Cook Islands. Uh, we discussed this earlier. If they can, if Fiji get through this, they'll play that meaningless game next week against the Kumbles. This back line is something fierce. Jareem Bula, Micah Sivo, Suna Taruva, Wanga Blake, and Mikaeli Ravalawa, one through five. Pretty good, Nick. It's not uh, It's not bad. Mm. It's not bad. I, I would definitely say it's not bad. Uh, Tui Kamakamika in the, in the forward pack with the gloriously named Gordon Whippy. Do you think he's Mr. Whippy's son? He has to be. He's an ice cream man, but he's <laughs> turned his back on the family business to pursue rugby league. Oh, he, there's, a, there's a mini series in there. <laughs> there has to be. Tane Mills playing in the forward pack as he does sometimes at international level, uh, to surprisingly calm effect. Like I remember he played in the, he played lock in the in the mid series test last year, but nothing crazy happened. It was kind of disappointing. Well, I think if he's playing in the forwards, he has to work too continuously for the red mist to descend. Mm. So maybe it's something South should look at. Maybe we maybe, yeah, obviously maybe maybe South needs to get a bit of bull of an arca up him. Yeah, obviously short of locks, famously South Sydney. No, so put him on an edge. He's on an edge oh, in this one. Wouldn't mind that, you know. Yeah, wouldn't I'm telling that. you. Till he takes someone's head off and gets sent off, and we lose a game. But well, hey. that's going to happen anyway. That's true. Well, right? thought... you know, you know what I mean. Like, it's true. Remember that glorious couple of weeks where I thought we'd harness Crazy Tane. Ah, uh, yes, but. Yeah. Remember what happened after that? Yeah, oh, all too well. Uh, I'll take Fiji to win this game by 19. Why not? Yeah, I, th- I think Fiji should win it pretty handily. Buller debuting is really exciting. Um, and like obviously that back line is just absolutely crackerjack. You know, Fiji are a bit of a, they're a bit underrated when it comes to international footy. You know, they ve- they very nearly beat New Zealand in last year's World Cup in the quarterfinals. They did beat them in the quarterfinal in the, in the 2017 
World Cup. It'd be it's a real shame that they don't have Api Corosau in this one. Just like his inclusion would give them just a little bit more class in the back line uh, or what have you. But they should have too much for the for the poor old Cooks here, man. And I think yeah. that that Fiji PNG game will be a real a real cracker. I'm really looking forward to that one next week. Absolutely. Simi Renrandra trying the chip and chase. Oh, no, it's Simi Redradra. Redradra's away. Simi Redradra. Oh, this will be interesting. Oh, yes, it will, yes. Simi Redradra. Oh, he's absolutely buried it. Redradra. All right, there is a bit of news. Uh, let's get through these first couple of stories, then we'll dig our teeth into some proper discussions. But, yeah, not a lot we can say. Uh, Tal Tal Moan found guilty of that hammer attack, and I doubt we shall be seeing him in the Red V anytime soon. Yep. It's, uh, it sounds like he – yeah. Well, you can't really say anything about it, can you? But, yeah, I think – when's he getting sentenced? December? December 6th, yes. December 6th, yeah. Mm-hmm. He uh, could be going away for a while. Yeah, not great. And then, uh, of course, uh, I'd not heard of this guy, but Tigers Junior Masai Tavui charged with a, a murder. So horrible it, story. Yeah, awful stuff. If you if you've read that, if you haven't got, you feel free to go read it. Your business, but yeah, this guy who's in the Tigers Junior system played, came up through the Harold Matson SG ball, was playing playing in the latter of those competitions as a back rower this year. But uh, yeah, I, I shan't be playing anymore. Well, just. A young, uh, someone it that sucks. young. It's just sad. Someone, this, someone that young being tied up in something like this is just horrible. It's really awful stuff. Not much, not much else to say about it. Um, so let's dig in now to something we can talk about, and that is Anthony Albanese throwing the government support behind the next NRL team being based in Port Moresby. Nick, uh, you you have spoken at length on this show before about how important Papua New Guinea are to rugby league. I mean, 10 minutes ago, you spoke about the Orchids, all that stuff. Having said all that, that's at an international level. I can't get behind this as the next team in the NRL, personally. Yeah, it's not so much how important Papua New Guinea is to rugby league. It's how important rugby league is to mm. Papua New Guinea. Um, and I, I was remember really being really struck a long time ago now, probably about 10, 15 years ago, Phil Gould went up to PNG for something and a nine camera crew went with him and they filmed a story and Gus said something that's always really stuck with me. He sort of said that rugby league as a sport has the potential to, to save Papua New Guinea almost. It has the opportunity to bring uh, an, a, a, to bring, to bring uh, money and infrastructure to the country in a way almost nothing else can. Hmm. The idea of a Port Moresby team in the NRL has always struck me as a little bit fanciful. Um, but it looks like there are some very powerful people who are pushing hard to make this happen. And I think if it was to happen, it's quite clearly the riskiest expansion team that has probably ever been, you know, like back in the nineties, the league took a couple of big risks in bringing four teams into the competition at once, bringing a team in Perth, which is not a traditional rugby league area, bringing a team in, in Melbourne, um, which, you know, another non-traditional rugby league area, but, at those times, it was a lot more acceptable to to let a club sort of just wither and die on the vine. That mm. wasn't something the league was afraid of happening. That can't happen now. That can't really happen now. We're sort of in a different era of the sport. We are in the era of the sport where this is a multi-billion dollar product and you can't be, you can't sort of be flippant with the teams that you allow in. It would be the a pros, gigantic commitment. Yeah. The pros of having a Papua New Guinea team in the NRL uh, are, are, are things like I just mentioned it, it, it there's I think there's a, a set up pathway to get local boys into the big leagues already if you have a top tier team right on their doorstep that's going to be even bigger and then the long-term effect of that over the, the first five or ten years of the franchise won't just be guys coming in and playing for the whatever you want to call them for the Port Moresby fucking alpacas or whatever but eventually there'll be a knock-on effect and guys will go to different clubs around the league and it'll take this sort of raw untamed rugby league potential that exists up there and find ways to channel it into elite pathways, you know? So there'll be a, 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 there'll be some real big benefits there. the influx of money and infrastructure into Papua New Guinea will be really, really invaluable, you know, and especially if the government's looking to foot the bill, then it's a little bit of a, it's a little bit of a, what's the right word? It's a little bit of a windfall for the league mm-hmm. in the short term. You know, and there's like, even though there's not a whole lot in terms of infrastructure in Papua New Guinea, even though it is very much still a developing nation, 
there are a lot of raw materials there in terms and a lot of like raw money up there in terms of like, there's a lot of um, mining's a really big industry up there. There's a lot of companies that are looking to sort of pull money out of the ground and, and all that sort of stuff. So I think there can be a lot of financial support for a bid like this yeah. in the short term, but the short term doesn't worry me. What worries me is the long term. You know, the government wants this to, to get over the line. Like Albanese's made no secret of it. He wants, he wants an NRL team in Port in Port Moresby to increase Australia's ties to Papua New Guinea because he's worried about China's interest in the Pacific. Right? That's no secret. That's that's out there with a lot, with a lot of stuff that a lot of people are reporting. Mm-hmm. And if that sort of if that sort of government backing is available, then it's something that the the NRL should definitely look at. But what I'm worried about is the second that the Labor government is out and a Liberal government is in, and then a a very easy way to lop off a big Labor expense would be to cut off funding to the team. And then all of a sudden you're stuck with a team in Papua New Guinea that doesn't get any government funding. And then where's the money going to come from? Exactly. That's, that's more what I'm worried about. And then there's sort of a lot of practical concerns as well. Like finding Papua New Guinea blokes to play for this team, is going to be easy as hell, but how are you going to get literally anyone from anywhere else to come well, in and do it? Yeah. I mean, that's why you, you said the short-term windfalls are obvious, but I would also say that, like the short-term obstacles are going to be just as hard as the long-term ones. Because if you put a roster just full of PNG guys up there, they're going to come last and they're going to get smashed. And that's, that's reality. And what you just said there is true. It's like, who's going to go and play there? You, we met, we talked about, we talked about some of the dudes that are playing for the Kumbles, but like Alex Johnson's not going to, Alex Johnson's going to pick up sticks and leave living in Sydney to go and live yeah. in, in Port Moresby. Jackson Bellin's not going to go from yeah. living on the beach in Wollongong to living in Port Moresby. These guys saw- aren't going to do that. I saw someone say, oh, you know, you get the PNG team in and then you just spend whatever it takes to get Lamb and Coates and Olam and all them up there. It's like, they're not going to go there. They're not going to go there. Like going to Port Moresby and playing games there, I think for a lot of players, it's a great experience. Yeah. It's a great thing to do for a week for for like for your life. Maybe not. But people, pe- not. people go on trips to the snow. You don't want to live there. <laughs> you don't want to like, you don't want to live there. Yeah. And- so all of it. So I, I think you're right. Like, Short term, they can get a lot of money coming, and I think they can be successful off the field. But on field, it's it's difficult to see how they're going to be competitive, you know. And even if you're like, okay, well, it's just going to be local guys, that could take it could take five years to get a team ready for the top level. Yeah, you know. And people have said, oh, they could. And the other idea that people have floated is, oh, they can live in they can live in Cairns and commute. And it's like, well, okay, but again. A lot of these guys don't want to live in Cairns. Like the Cowboys yeah. can't get a lot of free agent players because they don't want to live in Townsville. And Cairns is like two hours further north of Townsville. It's like the set you'll have the like they won't be to the same extent as living in Port Moresby, but you'll have very similar problems. Like it might, George Burgess is up there. Maybe maybe he can play for Papua <laughs> New Guinea. He can get the ferry across to Port Moresby every Saturday to go and play. But other than that, it's like yeah, it just seems like this is sort of very blatant sort of grandstanding by the government for interests well beyond rugby league, as you touched on. And again, this isn't us speculating. This is stuff that's out there that's been said by multiple people who have far greater understanding of the Asia Pacific region than you and I do. And I just think that this would be a huge mistake. I mean, the first, the first column I wrote for ESPN this year when I moved over there was, uh, was about how the next team has to be in Perth, no matter what. And nothing that's nothing that's happened this year has changed my mind on that. I still firmly believe that the next team has to be in Perth if we are, if and when we get that 18th team in. I, I don't understand why we would do this. I don't understand how it would work. And I think that with all the obstacles that we've just outlined in the last few minutes, that this is a team that would rack up some wooden spoons thick and fast. And I know that people love rugby league up there. I know that. I get it. I understand that. But if you're not competitive on the field, that's one thing that all the money and infrastructure in the world can't fix. If it can't translate into getting good players and getting results. And if they're not getting good players and they're not getting results, then people will eventually at some point lose interest. See, I, I, I agree with, I agree with you on every point, except the bit where you say that people will lose interest. I don't, I don't, I really don't think they will. I think the, the, the depth of love that Papua New Guinea has for rugby league is almost difficult to comprehend unless you've you've been up close and you've seen it you know but even that sort of plays into the into a larger point here which we, and it relates to something you just said so all those other expansion bids that we talk about right so another brisbane team or a western corridor team or a perth team or another new zealand team 
all the things that make those sort of uh, expansion bids relevant, all the points that they have for their own inclusion are not really related to this Papua New Guinea stuff. Like when we talk about putting a team in Perth, right? We talk about having a national footprint. We talk about the big expat communities over there that can have some inbuilt support. We talk about adding another game in another time zone, which then boosts the value of the TV deal. You know, that's a similar conversation that we have when we talk about New Zealand. When we talk about a Western Corridor bid um, in sort of the Ipswich area, we talk about the rising population that we talk about how we like, I, I hate calling fans consumers, but you've got, you know, hundreds of thousands of potential rugby league consumers who have the money to spend on the game. Like that's what we talk about when we talk about expansion in Australia and New Zealand mm. in Papua New Guinea, it is going to be different. It is going to be different because it's a completely different country. It's a, it's completely different in the sense that it is a developing nation still, you know, this isn't going to be a fan base with a huge disposable income that they're going to be able to spend on KO subscriptions or, uh, or, you know, or even, te- even, even televisions. Like you would have seen, Photos in Papua New Guinea of people, yeah. like hundreds of people crowded around one TV exactly. to watch a state of origin game. We're talking about a completely different frontier. We're talking about a different world to 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 anything that uh, that any of the other expansion bids are even related to, you know? And like that, honestly, I think they could, if the if the, the PNG Panthers or whatever, we're going to have two Panthers teams in the league now. Oh, good. The PNG Pumas come into the league, right? And they finish last every year for 10 years the fans will still show up. The local support for them will still be, will still be crazy, you know? Mm. And even if it's just not to watch them, it'll be to watch Latrell Mitchell coming up. That's a good point. That's a very, very good point. That is is the one resource I think that is limitless. But in in terms, in terms of sort of looking for, for parallels, the things we look for in other bids, I just don't think are, are as present in a Papua New Guinea NRL team. And, I'm actually a little bit concerned that this might get over the line. I haven't heard anything about it or anything like that. It's not like I have any inside news, but Peter Volandis loves big swings, mm. you know, and he doesn't really care if they hit or not. He loves big swings. He loves building big things that people said couldn't be done. And he's not afraid to take really big borderline insane chances. He's not afraid to completely change the structure of the support in the middle of the season, you know? Yep. Which he's done, which well, he's done multiple could... multiple times now. So, honestly, it, it, with this administration in, it wouldn't surprise me if this got off the ground. But I just think there's so so many red flags, and it's so and like the idea of getting that big that big lot of government money right up front and getting the government backing the team and all that. I think that would be a real sugar hit. I don't think it's something that could be sustainable over 10, 15, 20 years, which is how you have to think with an expansion team. You can't think about the first five years because the first 50 years are what's important. Yes. You know? Yeah. It's funny. I read some quotes from um, the PNG NRL bids, the head Andrew Hill. And he said, Oh, they'd be, they'd be the biggest supported team in the competition. They're the, which I don't know if that is, maybe it is true. Cause if the population of Papua New Guinea is 12 million people, whatever it is, and they all love rugby league, then perhaps that is, that is accurate. But it was further down where he said that, you know, it would be a slow burn, focusing on coaching and development and framework. That was all good. But then he was like, oh, corporate support. People tell me we won't have money. Some of the biggest companies in the world are based in Papua New Guinea. Again, all of that sounds great. But like those companies are there, as you said, to mine resources out of the country. They're not like setting up big corporate offices there. That's not the same thing. It's not like it's this big destination for expats to go to. And again, I just think getting the players there is going to be the hardest sell. And you might be right. You probably are right, actually, in the sense that they could come last every year and people would still show up and, and just, just to see Latrell and Reese Walsh and whoever else. But it's not good for the league. It's not good no, for the league. No, of course. Not. It under, it under, and it undermines the credibility of the team. Like It makes them seem less like a, a an actual football team and more like a political tool, Yep. which, if the government's involved, is always going to be a really but, big thing. Uh, the world's largest gold mine have just taken over business there so maybe they could just offer people gold to play for I believe natural resources are outside the salary cap so uh you just rock up at reese walsh's house gold, with a giant gold, gold brad shirty gold <laughs> exactly maybe that would work maybe we could maybe they can have a salary cap dispensation for natural resources a mad a mad prospector as coach of the the, P, the png well, yeah Parrots. why not who's in no the who's png in? hang on hang on it's the png pickaxes surely oh, i like that i like yeah. that so yeah, yeah i 
Yeah, in an ideal world, I would like to see a lot of these resources get funneled into the PNG hunters um, because I think they have been a real success story since they joined the Queensland Cup back in 2014, I want to say, that it is. Like, they've had guys go through that, make 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 the big leagues. You know, they've done a whole lot for a lot of different communities up there. But I would imagine that all this government funding stuff is predicated on the brand name of the NRL, you yeah. know, that's a much easier sell than asking a mining company to invest in like a second tier team. So yeah, I don't know. It, 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 it just, it just seems to me to be a little bit pie in the sky. I just don't know if it's, if it's as sustainable as, as it needs yep. to be. But you're right. If the government's involved and, and Volandis thinks he can hit a home run, then it could happen. Mm. Would you say it's the set? I would say it's the second most ambitious expansion bid in the history of Australian sport. What's first? The, the, the Singapore Slingers? That is the exact correct answer that I had pulled up. The <laughs> Singapore Slingers in the NBL. People don't remember. For some reason, they added a Singapore team to the NBL for two years in the mid-2000s. Not sure why. A fun, a fun way to waste a bit of time is just looking up the names of all the defunct NBL teams over That's the years. That's actually true. And yeah. shout, shout out Derek Rucker, who you and I like, had a discussion about once on Twitter, and he liked the tweets that mentioned his name like eight months later. So he's out there. He's, he'll he'll get you. He'll take his time, but he'll get there. The great man. Um, speaking yeah, of great it, yeah, man. it would be it would be the it would be the most ambitious expansion bid in the history of rugby league, and with the possible exception of the Toronto Wolfpack. I was just thinking that, yeah. But we saw how the we saw how it ended it up for the great. pack, didn't we? Yeah. Oh, remember when we were making plans to go there? Watch I know, I know, Gosh. and then COVID happened. Yeah, what a jerk COVID was. Oh well. Uh, speaking of great men, Gareth Widdop retired. How, uh, yeah. What's your what's your how do you feel like Gareth Widdop? He was a good player. He was. I do you think we ever saw the best of him? Um well I mean it's it's hard to get the best out of anyone at the Dragons in the last decade, isn't it? Like just feels like whatever. Yeah, he was a good player on the Dragons, but they were such a meh team. It's like, what are you doing? What are we what are we all doing here? <laughs> why uh, why are we here? Yeah, exactly. Like why, Gareth? You just stay at the storm, score some sick tries, playing grand finals. Anyway. Well, he, he did good... all. He did all that though. He, he, he completed he, that aspect well, he of did rugby it at league. The storm, but then he went to the Dragons <laughs> and played like what one finals game, two finals games. I don't know. He, uh, he he played a couple. I I always think that when he got to the Dragons, he ended up being tremendously unlucky because 2015 they made the finals. He made an early comeback from injury and they lost. Um, 2018 he buggered his shoulder in the first week of the finals when the Dragons were looking set to make a little bit of a deep run and. I don't know. He was a player who I always had a tremendous amount of time for. I thought he was a great for. player. I he was a, one, of those, one of those very rare halves who's sort of kind of got it all. Like he could run, he could pass, he could kick, he was a good leader, all that sort of deal. And I I, I don't know. I, he, he's one of those guys who I think through no fault of his own, didn't quite hit his ceiling as a footballer just because never quite had the teammates around him that complimented his style. Not for, not for long enough anyway. You know, like... Him and him and Ben Hunt only got the one year together in the house for the Dragons. Mm. You know, imagine if they gotten two years or three years. Like well, that's what that twenty that twenty that twenty eighteen Dragons team. Well, that's when they put fifty on the Broncos in the finals, right? Yeah, yeah, Jackson and they sort of they sort of yeah. had everything in place for a little bit, but then it just fell apart. It fell apart just just as quickly. Well, but that yeah, was Widdop, quite... Widdop, who's Widdop is someone who. If we run his career 10 times, I think we could have got a couple of better versions of it. But again, a lot of that isn't his fault. Well, that Tarek Sims hat trick game is quite literally the only finals game he won as a dragon. So, yeah. Shame. Lost, lost some seasons there on some bad teams, but a really good player and a really good career. You know, he played for England after he'd had two NRL games. That's crazy. One at centre. Had he played in the Super League before that? No, because he moved out here like in his early teens. Oh, yeah, well, that is crazy then. Good. Yeah, and he yeah. made. I'm pretty sure he made his debut in the in the Storm game, mm. the first Storm game after the salary cap stuff. Oh, there you go. So he's been around. A, he's been around a lot longer than you think. Shout out to the 2009 Holden Cup Grand Final where he scored the winning try. Mm. The, 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 did they sell the yellow ball then? They did. Yeah, Fantastic. they did. He had blows like. Sinbad Carly in the team oh, with him. I Shout Sinbad out, Carly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's a guy. But yeah, we're a, yeah been around been around a lot longer than you think. Yeah, uh, Brody Croft is now the fourth most expensive footballer in Super League history. Yeah, 
I'm mind blown over there. I swear to God, like I read like a month ago that he signed like a 400 year deal with Salford, and now he's yeah, now yeah, he's but gone. Salford don't have any money. Ah, so Leeds ponied up the. Do they still have that? Do they still that's, have that colourful owner? No, Marwin Cookash. No, yeah. he gone. Ah, oh. he gone. Too no, colourful. Well, they said too colourful. <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 like it's like soccer, right? You know. Yeah. So Leeds paid up the transfer fee to get him. Well, it's big for the city of Leeds. I know that the my beloved Leeds United have been galvanised by the Brodie Croft signing news. I think. Do you that, think? Do you think uh, he'll be Leeds United's number one ticket holder now? Oh, I hope. Well, no, because Bre- uh, Brett Delaney's already got that. <laughs> Does he? He loves it because he played for the Rhinos for ages. He he tweeted about like, he was tweeting about like Bielsa and shit during the during well, the, the run. The longer that he was in England, the more he looked like a mm. uh, a, a football hooligan. You know. Yeah. Um. But although since Brodie Croft signed for Leeds. We had Josh, the Leeds Warrior, Warrington getting getting knocked out. That's tough, man. By Lee Wood. There's a good rugby league name. That is a good rugby league name. Lee yeah. Lee Wood. Lee Wood uh, played in the juniors for Featherstone Rovers. He absolutely did. Good 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 work, Lee. Uh, yeah, Croft 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 will Croft will end up back here one day. He has to. Like 100%. I mean, I understand the memes and all that stuff, but like if he brains that comp, if he just continues to brain that comp as he did last year, then like it will eventually happen. Mm. Um, and uh, Canberra have signed some guy from England, Nick. Morgan Smithies. Sure. A very, a very English name. What's your, what's our England correspondent got to say about Morgan Smithies? I'm sure um, you called it. Well, yeah. I, <laughs> I told, um, I told all my Raiders mates, that I was like, yeah, you know, I'm reaching out to my sources in England, but really I was just ringing George. Yep. And he said, he's in the Bateman mold, real niggly little thing, but can play. Can play is important. Then I looked up. Um, I looked up some highlights. I looked up some stats. I tried to find some chatter, as uh, as you do around mm, these times. Of course. Uh, Morgan Smithies is really good at tackling. Makes a lot of tackles. Made oh. like sixty odd in a game this year. Running the ball or doing stuff with the ball, perhaps not as natural for him. Um, so one hundred and fourteen games for Wigan, two tries. Played oh. every game for them this season, one offload. Not a great deal of trouble. Played every game for them this season, no tackle bus. Oh. Not a, a not a not a dynamic a attacking. Defensive player. specialist. A defensive specialist, yes. Yes. And look, you know, Canberra could probably use a couple of defensive specialists. They mm-hmm. conceded, I believe it was four hundred points this year. That's quite a lot of points. I was pouring through some stats early this week um you don't need to know exactly which ones it was all very weird and perverted okay but canberra conceded as many points exactly as many points as they did this year as they did in 2014 when they finished second last and in 2011 when they also finished second last oh that's so so what you're saying is they overperformed expectations this year I'm just saying they conceded a lot of points. Okay, so what but, you're saying is but that they, they great were teams, but great teams, fr- great teams find a, a way. Fraudulent team that made the well, finals. Well, by... good teams, good teams find a way to overcome their flaws and make the finals regardless. You know, I'm I'm sorry if your team couldn't do that for you. I'm well, sorry if they didn't care enough. That's okay. I've I've I'll I'll dry my tears with my 2014 Premiership shirt. Do you have one of those? No, you don't. Why would I want a 2014 premiership shirt? One in general from any of the many (laughs) premierships in the NRL era that your team has won. Anyway, so Canberra could maybe use a defensive specialist. You know, I'm surprised that they went for someone who's a middle and not an edge because they are still really light on edges. But I could definitely see Morgan Smithies filling that classic Ricky Stewart role of plays the opening 20 minutes, comes off, doesn't come back on. Love that. Ricky loves Dunamis Louie. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Ricky loves blokes like that. So. I don't know. We'll see how we go. I think the bigger thing is that England is still open to Canberra. I was worried that yeah, after the George Williams stuff, that was going to be a pipeline that closed for them, but it hasn't. So What's happened with George Williams? How's he, how's he gone over there since he went back? Mate, he was meant to ca- he was meant to captain England in this upcoming test oh, series against Why Tottenham. is he not? Got suspended, I'm pretty sure. Oh, it's all politics. But yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he's he's doing great. He was always going to He was always going to Yeah, he's a good great. player. It's a shame you lost him. Oh, I hate that we lost him. Hate yeah. how we lost him too. Mm. Yeah, it's it's not not ideal. Be really, it'd suck if you had a really good halfback. You just lost him for a stupid reason. It'd be terrible. Any other news? Well, it would it would it would suck if you didn't try as hard as you could to keep That's that true. halfback. That, That's that the thing that would really true. suck. That yeah. would suck a lot. Yeah. Um, do you have any other news? Uh no. That's about it. That's all I got. No, okay, great. Um, cool. Before we get out of here, 
We're going to thank the people who the top tiers on our Patreon subscription service. We'll have content churning all off-season long. And if you want to support us, go to patreon.com forward slash rookies. You will get an extra podcast every single week. Access to our Discord server, entry to next year's Coltrane Cup, merchandise discounts, and plenty more. So, thank you to Chris Abnell, Dave, Rocky and Rafi, Stu, Wayno the old coot. All right, stop, collaborate, and listen. Ice is back with a brand new invention. Something grabs a hold of me tightly, flowing like a harpoon daily and nightly. Broncos legend Adam Reynolds, Bruce the Pom. Bungard, blink if Campo has his guns aimed at you. I think that is a reference to you not wearing shirts. Butsy, Chewbacca Snuffleupagus, Dan Cullinane, do it for Scott Minto, Doc Hogg, and anonymous backer, Ed Burton. Hi, I'm Mitt Bertrand, and I have redacted. I also went to school with Bungard. I, Matt Bungard, could not be happier for Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. I've got a blank space in my fantasy team, and I'll write your name. Jason, Joel Wrigley, John, Josh Brandon, kicks ass out of the comp. Lachlan Hancock, lifelong Dolphins fan, Luke Charles, Moodmore, Mads, Taylor's version, Matthew Duggan, Michael, sitting around and naming Patreon names, the finest thing a person can do. It's literally my favorite thing to do in the whole world. Mr. Beefy, Momorowski fans are called Mama's Boys, Morgan Watkins, my ding ding dong is hard and I'm sad, never trendy, Pat McManus, Reese Brown, Rowan Eduardo. He's changed it by one letter. Roxanne Clark, see you in Vegas, Shunter. So we'll march day and night by the big cooling tower. They have the plant, but we have the power. Ty, thank you too. Chris Abdel, Dave, Rocky and Ruffy, Stu, the black vegetable, the combat vehicle. He's gone back to square he's, one. He's, he's, he's probably taking a break over the summer. That's fair. The outro music is a vibe on 1.75 times speed. I actually did, did that last week. It is. These white slippers are a vino, African and Dejurado. Thor, Tom Hardy was, we are now offering shout outs to everyone who loves and to everyone who listens. All listeners, please send five of your Australian dollars to the Matt Bungard on X.com and Westlife podcast and the Pasco fiasco. Thank you so much for your support to everyone in the lower tiers and everyone who just listens. Thank you as well. I like Rowan Edwards rebranding as Rowan Eduardo over the summer. Yeah. Strong. Very, a bit of Latin flair. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Bit of a bit of, bit of Latino heat. And a shout out to Hunter who sent me the end of that. We are now offering shout outs. He sent me the rest of it in a private message so I could read the rest of it with the Matt Bungard X.com bit because it cuts off on Patreon. So people were really going above and beyond to make me sound like an asshole. And I got to respect <laughs> it. I have no other choice. Commitment to the bit, man. There's nothing like it. Yeah. I'm going to go watch some Singapore Slingers highlights. Shout out Shane Hill. Mate, I thought he played for them, but I'm looking at their roster right now and he's not on it. No, he, he played for the Gold Coast Blaze. I remember. I that. was, but like. I like I was certain like if you'd asked me, I was certain Shane Hill played for the Singapore Slingers. Oh, that's that's Mandela effect in action, bro. Legitimately is. Like, or you're just you're just conflating two NBL icons. I guess. Wait, who's what, the other what one? What is it? No, Singapore Slingers are one. Oh, right, and, right, and NBL, right. And and uh and yeah, Singapore Slingers is one and Shane Hill is the other. Which defunct NBL team is your favorite? Oh mate, we'd be we'd be on we we'd have courtside seats for the Razorbacks if they Course still it's the Razorbacks. Course it's the Razorbacks. Oh man, I I am terrified about how much money I would pay for a Western Sydney Razorbacks jersey. It's, uh, so friend of the show, Grayson Waller, it's his white whale. He can't yep. find it, and he's tried man, for years. Man, so have I. So have I. I'm telling you, dude. Remember they had they had a grand final series against the Kings in like 2000. Yeah, yeah, I remember that three or four yeah and it was a legitimate like big deal like it was all it was like it was lighting up camden with uh and basketball circles in the greater macarthur area mm-hmm. one day one day one day we'll take it all back yep yeah and as i said shout out derek rucker the goat and shout out the gold coast blaze and yeah I'm, I've, I've got to get out i've got to get out before i go down this, this nbl rabbit hole <laughs> We sometimes tumble down. Man, if they played all the, if they still played all the games at the old Kingdom in Chinatown, RIP. I would go there. I would go all it's the time. It's fun. I went. To, me and Charlie went to a couple of games in their playoff run last year, and it was a good time. It's just I can't be fucked going to Homebush. Yeah, exactly. Homebush sucks. Why would you want to play there? You would. Uh, and Shane Hill was captain coach of the South Dragons for two years. By the way, shout out to the South Dragons who won the premiership and then never played again. Exited exited the league. Because we achieved all our goals in our first season, <laughs> there was no need for a second. Absolutely incredible shit. Fucking hell. 2009 premiers never played again. <laughs> <laughs> That's glorious. All right. As good as it gets. Say goodbye, Campo. Goodbye, Bertrand. That's goodbye from me.